Scripture reading today is from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, O Lord of hosts. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26 this morning is what we'll be looking at. I do want to take a moment just to say uh, thank you again. Kendall said it earlier, but I want to say thank you to Kendall. If you uh, walked in late this morning and did not see the video, it's awesome. You need to go look at it. Uh, It's super cool. You can share it with your friends. I think it's a great thing. We need to celebrate the wins that we have here. There were 832 people at the block party this Thursday. 832, yeah, yeah, we can, that is incredible, uh, it is, that team has been doing block parties for 20 years, and they said that is the biggest one they've ever done, so it was huge, huge, and so we had about five people um, indicate that they wanted to at least take the next step of what it learned to, to follow Jesus, and so we'll be following up with them. Um, we also then, the very next night, for those who had any gas in the tank, or even if we didn't, we just kept pushing on. We were at the movie night. There was about 100 people there we got to invite to our church as well. So we said, we're going to run hard this summer. We're going to keep running hard. We set up a bunch of extra chairs this morning, so now there's a bunch of empty chairs. <laughs> and I say that to say, because it's okay, but it's also a sign we have work to do. People will come for the free food. But will they come for Christ? When Jesus had a similar thing happen, he came and he, he broke bread and he turned a, a little boy's lunch into feeding the multitudes. And then they came back to him looking for food. And he said, my body is the bread of life and my blood is the blood of the new covenant. Something that we're going to talk about again today in today's passages. And the crowds looked to him and they left. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, are you going to leave too? And Peter looked at him and said, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. That is the beauty of the gospel, is it is better than a hamburger. It's better than bounce houses and all those things. And those things are wonderful. And I am so glad we had such a large turnout to that. But there is a stark reminder this morning. There is work to be done for the glory of God. There are many people starving for community. And they showed us that on Thursday night. They desperately desire to belong. God has made them that way. What they don't know is right here is where they'll find that belonging in Christ. But here's the good news. 
the wonderful news. We have a sovereign God who is going with us and before us in these things. We are not alone in this labor and in this effort. So I say that to encourage you and say, let's look around. We got a big old list of names. Jimmy and I cannot follow up with these people by ourselves. And I'm asking you, are you ready to get to work? Are you ready to go to make disciples and fulfill that great commission that Ben just read? Well, I hope so. With that, let me pray for us. God, we love you. We love that you are the sovereign God of the universe, that there is nothing that happens outside of your control. God, I pray as we look to this passage this morning that we would see that truth, that you are sovereign over the good and the bad. But God, you are working all things for the good of those who love you and to your own glory. And that is wonderful news. Help us see these gospel truths this morning as we dive into your word. And God, I ask that you might change us. I ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, again, the passage this morning is Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26. I will read them all so we can get them all under our belt, and then we'll dive on in. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, and there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve one who, dip, who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes at his, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup and he had given thanks and he gave it to them and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Well, that's a lot of verses to get through, but we're going to get through it. So what I want us to see from this picture is that God is sovereign that Jesus is exercising that. And what I mean by the word sovereign, and we talked about that before, is we cannot ever separate God's sovereignty from his personhood. God is a sovereign, which means that he is king. It's another way to say that God is the king of the universe. And there is nothing that is outside of his control. When we say God is sovereign, we say that God is in control. And we see that Jesus is displaying a lot of control over the situation, over good things and even over really bad and hurtful things, even things to him, like betrayal. So we want to see first, these first couple verses, verses 12 through 16, that he's even sovereign over the good. Because I think as we ask that question, questions start to come out like, well, if God is sovereign over things, do my decisions matter? And we're going to see here, we'll look at God's 
sovereignty and man's responsibility. There in that second verse, he talks about where Judas goes and woe to him. We ask questions like, if God is sovereign and God is good, then why do bad things happen? Today we get to look and we say, why do bad things happen like betrayal? And that's what we get to look at. And I think we get to answer those questions. We take a look and look carefully at these scriptures, how God can be in control of everything and be good. And yet bad things still do happen. And human beings are still responsible for those things and what we do. And so that's what I want us to look at. But first, it is so important that we look and see that God is sovereign over the good. Verse 12, it says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, This is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples, and I will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepare for us. The disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. This is a lot like, if you remember in Mark chapter 11, when Jesus entered into the city and he did this weird thing. He said, hey, when you go into the city, there's going to be this cult tied up. And he kind of gave them this sign. And then he gave them, and then you're going to say this, because we remember we talked about, it'd be kind of weird. Like, it'd be like someone just walking up to a car and be like, I'm going to take this. And you'd be like, hey, where are you going in my car? And then they would just say, well, the Lord has need of it. And you'd be like, oh, cool, awesome, just bring it back. Like, you wouldn't do that. But that's what happens in this story. It's like crazy. They walk up. They're taking this colt. People are like, what do you do? And Jesus looks at it, or the disciples look at him and say, the Lord has need of it. They're like, okay. They're like, don't worry, we'll bring it back when we're done. And they take it. And then Jesus fulfills a passage in Zechariah where he's supposed to ride in a colt on a colt that has never been ridden before. It's so similar because Jesus is like, hey, go walk into Jerusalem and you'll find a guy carrying a jar of water. Now, it is true that it's, it would be more normal for women to do that task. And so a guy carrying a jar of water maybe isn't super normal. But the reality is, at this time, there were so many pilgrims pouring into Jerusalem because in the Old Testament, to celebrate the Passover, you were supposed to do it within the walls of Jerusalem. So all of the Jews not living in Jerusalem are pouring into this place. The city is bustling, and it's got a just a massive amount of people. It probably doubled in its population size. And Jesus says, hey, go walk in and see a guy carrying a jar of water. And don't worry, it'll be the right guy. That'd be like going downtown on game day and say like, hey, go and see a guy wearing a blue shirt. Now it's Ohio State whose colors are red. And so it might be like weird to see a guy wearing a blue shirt. But like, are you going to be confident enough to walk up to that guy as a he's the right guy that you're looking for? I don't know, unless a sovereign God has told you to go and do it. And so Jesus says, hey, go. And there's this guy, he's going to be carrying a jar of water. The guy, don't worry, go talk to him and say, hey, we need your upper, like, we need you to take us back to your master. And you're going to follow that guy. You're going to go into his house. The master of the house is going to come down. And you're going to say, hey, my teacher, he wants to know where his guest room, like, what is the, it says, where's my guest room? And is it ready for me? Now, that's pretty audacious. Where's the guest room? And is it ready? Now at this time, in this culture, because these pilgrims are pouring in, people like this master would have been preparing more rooms so that their fellow brothers and sisters, Jewish brothers and sisters, could come and celebrate the Passover together. Or they would have invited people in. But it is interesting. They go to some random guy carrying a water, a water jug of some kind. They follow him in and says, hey, where's it at? And Jesus says, hey, you're going to follow me. And so in the same way, all he has to say is the teacher— meaning him, has need of this. 
They say, yeah, here it is. And our text tells us, and they found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And what this then ends up doing is it allows them to talk about the betrayal of Jesus. And they're even able to fulfill the scriptures in that. But I think that's just an amazing thing. It's a total display of Jesus' sovereignty over the situation. Nothing is catching him off guard. He knows what's getting ready to happen, and he's sending them in, and he's telling them, go and then do this, because God is not just sovereign over bad, but he is sovereign over the good. So often when we struggle with a God who's in control of the difficulties of our life, we usually start with, why is this bad thing happening to me? This is all your fault. And what I want to say is we have to start from a spot where we say, God is inherently good. Now let me look at my circumstances. We have to start and say, God is working something for my good, even if I cannot see it. He's the one who sees the future. I don't. And will I choose to trust him in the middle of that or not? Because as they come to celebrate this Passover, they're celebrating a sovereign God who delivered them from slavery and from Egypt. They're celebrating the kind of God who thousands of years before brought his people out of Egypt. And when he did that, Pharaoh, if you know that story well, he, God raised up a man named Moses to deliver the people out of Egypt because Pharaoh, the, the ruler of Egypt, was mistreating the Hebrews. He treated them as slaves, and they were crying out to God for deliverance. And God had told them to let them go, and Pharaoh said, no, I will not let those, these people go. And then what ends up happening is God has a series of plagues so that Pharaoh will be convinced. None of them can convince him. And they get to the point, to the final plague, where the angel of the Lord is going to pass over Egypt in judgment. And in an act of judgment, he's going to kill the firstborn in every single household. Unless, unless a household takes a lamb, sacrifices that lamb, and takes the blood of the lamb and paints it over their doorpost. And if that blood of the lamb was found over the doorpost, the angel of the Lord would come to that house and he would pass over that house. And on the night when these lambs are being sacrificed to remember how the blood of the lamb kept us safe from the judgment of God, you have Jesus celebrating the Passover, Jesus who it's yelled and proclaimed of him by John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Jesus, who's coming to fulfill the Passover and be the final Passover lamb, so that if you're covered in the blood of Jesus, the judgment of God passes over you. And you're covered in the blood of Jesus when you put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you. And that's the story that they're telling in this moment as he's having this meal. This meal isn't just a celebration. It's not just like what we do. We just kind of get together and we eat until we can't move and then we take a nap. They get together and in the phases of this meal, they would tell that story. They would recount different parts of it. They have recited times where the youngest boy would ask the oldest man scripted questions and the older man would answer those questions so they could retell this story. And so that's where they are in this setting, celebrating the Passover meal, remembering how God passed over and saved his people through the blood of the lamb. God is sovereign even over the good. Small things like nice, well-prepared upper rooms and really big things like the deliverance of his people from slavery 
in the saving of his people from the judgment of God. He is the giver of all good gifts. Psalm 8411, which we read this morning as our scripture reading, says this, For the Lord God is a son, which is like a way of saying he's a provider, and a shield and a protector. And the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. When you want that thing that you know is good and it just isn't coming to you, will you believe there is no good thing that God withholds? When you're going through difficulty in tremendous sadness, betrayal of your own, will you remember that there is no good thing that God withholds? See, we can have confidence that God is the giver of every good gift. As we do that, that's what gives us confidence that he is still in control and he is still good even when things are bad. And that's what we want to see because Jesus then starts telling of something very bad that's getting ready to happen. Verse 17, verses 17 through 21. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and, they, and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So they come together and they're having this meal. And Jesus is aware that there is a betrayer in their midst. He knows that they're there, and it says that he came with the twelve. And I think sometimes we assume that he's only eating with the twelve. But the Passover meal is typically something celebrated with entire family groups. So it's likely that there were lots of people there. It's just that the twelve are closest to him. And you can think of maybe other New Testament stories where he talks about, you know, Jesus actually hosting this meal. And whoever is most proximate to him, who's ever sitting closest to him, would have been like, the most honored people at this thing. And so I think it's talking about the 12 who he's set aside to be later his apostles. They're the most honored. And so it's calling out those 12 and he's saying, this is where they are. And they're probably most proximate to Jesus. And I think that's why he then calls out, it's one of the 12 later. It'd be kind of like weird, like someone in this room is going to betray me. Is it I? Is it I? It's somebody in this room that's, you know, kind of redundant. But rather it would be like if I were to say like, someone here is going to betray me. And he would say, is it I? Is it I? I say, no, 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 someone on the Redemption Hill leadership team. Someone really, really close. See, when Jesus says it's one of the 12, he's saying it's somebody who's not just proximate sitting next to me. It's someone who's relationally close to me. It's one of my best friends. That's who's going to do it. When he talks about dipping the bread and in in, in what I dip it in, it's because they would have been sitting on the same end of the table, sharing different places to dip bread as they ate. So they're dipping into the same thing. So even if the table might have been long and they have multiple things to dip stuff, right? Like you've been at a party and you know, that's what he's saying. It's somebody who's close to me right now. It's one of these 12. That's who it's going to be. That's who's going to betray me. And it's setting us up and it's helping us know betrayal really only hurts when someone who's really, really close some random person betrays you and it doesn't really feel like much of a betrayal. But Jesus says, no, it's going to be one of these people that I've entrusted myself to. Psalm 41.9 says this, Even my close friend in whom I've trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. 
when Jesus talks about the, as it is written, as it's going before him, I think it's referring to this passage, that even his close friend is going to betray him. And that's what we see happening. And that doesn't make sense to us because if you were in control of a situation, if you were the kind of sovereign God that had this power, you would not be like, you wouldn't set it up so one of your close friends betrays you, right? But he does. That's what he does. And he's in total control even over the bad. Yet we see that Judas is still responsible. He tells him, woe. Woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better if that man had not been born. It's not like he's getting off scot-free. He's got to do it. He has to be a part of this. These are the things that he has to do. As we look and we, we see that there is no way around it, Judas, though, is still responsible. So even though it's a part of God's total plan, it's not like Judas just goes like comatose and like gets robotic and just like goes out and betrays him. He does it by his own decision. John tells us he's a thief. He's been stealing money. So when he goes out to betray him, what's he, what's he use? And it's money, 30 pieces of silver. He's, he's a person ruled by his own desires, ruled by his own, own longings. That's you. That's me. God sovereignly works in us because what does he do? He changes those longings and he changes those desires. That's how we come to faith. But when we're left to our own vices and he's not changing us, we will do the things that are bad. We will do the things that are evil like Judas and we will be responsible for them because he's ruled by his own desire. In Acts 3.18 it says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Jesus has said to us in Mark, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. And then we are seeing there in Acts that what has been written of him by those prophets, Jesus would, Christ would suffer and he would see that it is fulfilled. What I'm trying to get at here is that Jesus is aware of what's going to happen and he walks through it anyway. Jesus knows that his friend is going to betray him and he says, but the Son of Man is going to go as it is written of him. As it's been decided by the Father, I'm going to walk through this anyway, through this difficult, this difficulty. And this is, you just wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. We have to ask the question, what does this mean for me? Is the evil in your life will be used for good? Do you believe that? That God is in control even when things are going badly? Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Judas the betrayer had a purpose. Even his wickedness was used to bring about God's ultimate plan of salvation. Jesus is willing to walk through this because he foresees the salvation of many. He goes with the joy set before him to endure the cross because he knows that through it many sons will come to glory. Romans 8.28 And we know that those who are called for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And as that passage goes on that purpose is to look more and more like Jesus. Do you believe that there's no good gift that God withholds? Do you believe in the difficulty of life that God is working all things for your good? There can be no resurrection if there is no crucifixion. 
Jesus must walk through these things because it has been written for him to do them. And God's sovereign hand is coming through all of it. And yet it's going to result in one of the greatest things that's ever happened in human history. When things are bad and evil is committed against you by those who are closest to you, we have to choose to trust the Lord. If you've been betrayed, if what you thought just wouldn't happen has happened in your life, things aren't just going your way, evil just seems to abound everywhere, what God is calling us to do is choose to trust him today. Choose that he's working all things for your good, including the bad stuff. The go-to in human experience when things are hard is, how can I change my circumstance? God wants to change you through your circumstance. God is committed to seeing you look more like Jesus and working all things together for your good. But that's going to mean that there's going to be some suffering in your life. And God is going to use it for his good, for your good, his glory. And we can know this because God uses the unthinkable to accomplish the most glorious thing ever. Our last little bit here, he's sovereign even over the unthinkable. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. It doesn't make sense the innocent Son of God is killed for sin. It's scandalous. It's unthinkable. And yet, that's what Jesus is explaining is about to happen. They're sitting in this room talking about the Passover lamb, talking about God's faithfulness to pass over. If you're just covered in the blood of the lamb, and in the middle of that meal, telling that story, Jesus adds to the meal. Jesus takes bread and says, this is my body. And he uses this word in Greek. Uh, he used, uh, Mark uses the word soma in Greek. And Jesus probably would have said this in Aramaic. And, it, and the word for body there, they both communicate really similar things saying, this is my essence, this is my being. This is all that I am. And it's broken for you. So we don't believe anything transforms in the bread when we take of it. What we're saying is that we're recognizing that his essence, that the symbol is there. That Jesus is saying, I'm literally going to be broken for you. And not just his body. His friend is getting ready to sell him out. He's going to be broken for you in every way. Then he has them all take this cup. And everyone there, including the people who are the one who's going to betray him, drinks it. And he says, this is of the, for the covenant. This is my blood of a covenant which is poured out for many. Some many manuscripts put in new covenant. And I think the idea is definitely there. 
that the old covenant was a covenant of law and works where God said, obey these things and then you will be blessed. Jesus gives us a covenant that says, I've obeyed them for you. Come and rest in me, be covered in my blood and God's judgment will pass over you. That's the promise and it's a new covenant. But here's what you gotta see. He's not the only betrayer in the room. Judas is not the only one who's gonna betray Jesus. Everyone else leaves him. One guy in the next passage is in such a hurry to leave him, they grab his cloak and he runs away nude. He leaves his own clothes behind because they're so afraid. They strike him and they're all scattered. And he knows this. He's looking into the eyes of these people and he's loving them and he's poured everything he has into them. And he knows in just a few hours, you're all going to take off. You're all going to betray me. And he takes that cup and he says, this is my blood. You are getting to have a part in it. You drink it because there's a new covenant, a covenant for traitors and scoundrels and sinners like you, that they might be saved by the blood of the lamb, that the judgment of God would come and he would pass over his people. This is outrageous. It's outrageous. The grace of God doesn't make any sense. The sovereign God of the universe looks at us and says something totally unthinkable. He says, I'm going to send my son and I'm going to put him on a cross. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out on him instead of sinners and traitors like you. And in Isaiah, he tells us this. He tells us this suffering Lord. And he tells us in verse 10 of chapter 53, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering, offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The just is going to be sacrificed for the unjust. The many will become righteous through the one. God is after one thing. His own wonderful glory. And that is incredibly good news for us. Because God is glorified when sinners, scoundrels, and traitors are radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the unrighteous are made righteous through his blood. God is on a quest and on a mission in this world to see himself be glorified. There is no one else like him. And we must know that that is so incredibly good. When you go through the difficulties of your life and evil seems to just be abounding, whether it's because you're betrayed or anything else, I want to encourage you to know God has proven that he is good. He has proven that he is immeasurably good because he did something immeasurably wonderful when the Son of Man allowed himself to be beaten, mocked, spit on, killed on a cross, and a criminal's death, and then in his glory and might rose again from the dead. 
that if we put our faith and trust in him, we too might experience that resurrection at his coming. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what we mean when we say we serve a sovereign God. We mean we serve a God who uses evil for his good purposes. There is literally nothing that is outside his control that he cannot make and use for good. And he is promising that to you. So we must know that that's the kind of God that we serve.